0: Chapter 18. In dry clothes, with some hot corn mush and molasses inside her, Kit leaned against the back of the settle and soaked in the warmth of the fire. Lightheaded with weariness and relief, she looked around the familiar room. How beautiful and safe it looked, with the sunshine slanting in the window. The regular breathing from Mercy's curtain bed sounded almost normal. Dr. Bulkley had said that Judith might get up this morning. Rachel had consented to go up to her own bed for a short sleep on their promise to waken her at once if mercy should rouse, and Matthew was preparing to get back to his work. Watching him draw on his heavy boots, Kit knew that she could not let him go without speaking. All night, just beyond the fringe of her thoughts, through the terror of the hunt, and the long, cold hours of waiting, she had cherished one small, warming memory. There on the beach, it had been the one thing that had held her back when Nat had offered her a chance to escape. She had to make sure that this memory was rightfully hers. She got up shakily and went to stand before her uncle. "'Uncle Matthew,' she said softly, "'I heard what you said last night to those people. "'and I want to thank you for it.' "'Tis no matter,' he answered gruffly. "'But it is a matter,' she insisted. "'I've been nothing but a trouble to you from the beginning, "'and I don't deserve your standing up for me.' "'Her uncle studied her from under his bushy eyebrows. "'Tis true I did not welcome you into my house,' he said at last. "'But this last week you have proved me wrong. "'You haven't spared yourself, Catherine.' our own daughter couldn't have done more. Suddenly Kit wished with all her heart that she had never deceived this man. She would like to stand here before him with a clear conscience. She was ashamed of the many times, more times than she could count, when she had skipped off and left her work undone. I shall tell him some day, she vowed to herself, when I am sure that Hannah is safe, and I will do my full share beginning this very moment. I don't even feel tired anymore." She helped Judith into her clothes and drew a chair for her near the sunny window. She drew a great kettle of water from the well and set it to boil for the wash. She swept up the scuffed sand and spread a a fresh layer in a fine pattern. She stirred up a corn cake for the midday meal. Hannah was safe, and Mercy was going to get well. That should be enough. And surely if she worked hard enough, she could forget this strange feeling of emptiness, the haunting regret that a secret and lovely thing was gone forever. Matthew came back presently for the noon meal. Kit thrust the iron peel into the oven and drew out the corn cake, plump and golden and crisp about the edges, and Judith said the smell of it made her feel hungry for the first time. Mercy stirred and asked, in a quite natural voice, for a sip of water, and Rachel's haggard face lighted with a smile. They were not alarmed this time by the knock on the door. Matthew went to answer it, and the others sat calmly at the table. They heard the scuff of boots in the hallway and a man's voice. We have business with you, Matthew. There is illness here, he answered. This can't wait. Better summon your wife, too. And that girl from Barbados we will be as brief as we can. The men stood aside to let Rachel and Kit walk ahead into the company room. There were four callers, one a deacon from the church, the constable of the town, and Goodman Cruff and his wife. They were not excited this morning. They looked hard and purposeful. Goodwife Cruft's eyes glittered toward Kit with contempt, and something else she could not interpret. I know you don't hold with witchcraft, the constable began, but we've some it to say as may change your mind. You arrested your witch? asked Matthew, with impatience. Not that. The town's rid of that one for good. Matthew stared at him in alarm. What have you done? Not what you fear. We didn't lay hands on the old woman. She slipped through our trap somehow. And we know how, hissed Goodwife Cruff. Kit felt a wave of fear that left her sick and dizzy. The deacon glanced at Goodwife Cruff uneasily. I don't quite go along with them, he said, but I got to admit the thing looks mighty queer. We've combed the whole town this morning ever since dawn. There's not a trace of her. Don't see how she could have got far. We know right enough. They'll never find her, broke in good wife Cruff. No use trying to shush me, Adam Cruff. You tell them what we saw. Her husband cleared his throat. I didn't rightly see it myself, he apologized, but there's some as saw that big yeller cat o' hers come a-running out of the house. A couple of fellers took a shot at it, but the ones has got a good look claims it had a great fat mouse in its mouth and it never let go, even when the bullets came after it. His wife drew a hissing breath. That mouse was Hannah Tupper. Tis not the first time she's changed herself into a creature. They say when the moon is full, now hold on a minute, Matthew, cautioned the constable at Matthew's scornful gesture. You can't gainsay it. Things happen. We better not look at too close. The woman's gone, and I say, good riddance. She's gone straight back to Satan. Pronounced Goodwife Kruff. but she's left another to do her work. Kit could have laughed out loud, but a look at Goodwife Kruff sobered her. The woman's eyes were fastened on her face with a cunning triumph. They found Summit when they searched her place. Better take a look at this, Matthew. The constable drew something shining from his pocket. It was the little silver horn book. What is it? Asked Matthew. Looks like a sort of horn book. Who ever saw a horn book like that? Demanded Good-what Goodman Cruff. Tis the devil's own writing. Has the Lord's prayer on it? The constable reminded him. Look at the letters on that handle, Matthew. Matthew took the thing in his hands reluctantly and turned it over. Ask her where it came from, jived Goodwife Cruff, unable to keep silent. There was a harsh gasp from Rachel. Matthew lifted his eyes from the horn book to his niece's white face. Can this be yours, Catherine? he asked. Kit's lips were stiff. Yes, sir, she answered faintly. Did you know you had lost it? Was it stolen from you? No, sir. I knew it was there i I took it there myself. Why? Kit looked from one grim waiting face to another. Did they know about Prudence? If not, she must be very careful. it It was a sort of present, she said lamely. A present to the widow? Not exactly. You mean she had some sort of hold over you, some blackmail? Oh no. Hannah was a friend of mine. I'm sorry, Uncle Matthew. I meant to tell you. Truly, I did, as soon as I could. I used to go see her on the way home from the meadow. Sometimes I took things to her, my own things, I mean. Poor Rachel, how that apple tart must be torturing her conscience. I don't understand this, Catherine. I forbade you, you understood it perfectly, to go to that woman's house. I know, but Hannah needed me, and I needed her. "'She wasn't a witch, Uncle Matthew. "'If you could only have known her.' "'Matthew looked back at the constable. "'I am chagrined. "'He said with dignity that I have not controlled my own household. "'But the girl is young and ignorant. "'I hold myself to blame for my laxness.' "'Take no blame yourself, Matthew.' "'The constable rose to his feet. "'I'm sorry, what with your daughter sick and all, "'but we've got to lock this girl up.' "'Oh, no!' burst out Rachel you can't let them Matthew since when asked Matthew his eyes flashing do you lock up a girl for disobedience that is for me to settle not disobedience this girl is charged with witchcraft that is ridiculous thundered Matthew watch your words man the girl has admitted to being a friend to the witch and there is a complaint against her made according to law and signed Who dared to sign such a charge? I signed it, shouted Goodman Cruff. The girl put a spell on half the children in this town, and I'll see her brought into court if it's the last thing I ever do. Matthew looked defeated. Where do you aim to take her? he asked. Shed back of my place will do. There's no proper jail short of Hartford, and I've lost near a day's work already. Wait a minute. How long do you intend to keep her? Till the trial... When Sam Talcott gets back tomorrow, he'll likely examine her with the ministers present. That's what they did to Goody Harrison and that Johnson woman. Been twenty years since we had a witch case hereabouts. Reckon there will be a jury trial in Hartford. Suppose I give you my word that until Captain Talcott returns, I'll keep her I'll keep her locked in the room upstairs. What good is his word? demanded Goodwife Cruff. Has he known where she was these past months? "'She wants to see me in jail,' Kit thought. "'She felt numbed by the hatred in the woman's eyes. "'I'd trust you all right,' the constable considered. "'But they some I don't trust. "'They was out of their minds down there last night. "'One more death in this town, "'and I won't be responsible for what happens. "'The girl will be safe with me. "'That I warrant.' "'Rachel started forward, but Matthew motioned her back. "'Get her coat.' he ordered. They stood waiting silently in the hallway while Rachel climbed the stairs weeping and came back with her own woolen cloak. "Here's feels damp, she quavered. Keep this on you, Kit. It may be cold in that place. The crufts walked behind them all the way along High Street down Carpenter's Lane to the constable's house and stood by till they saw Kit safely in the shed and heard with their own ears the heavy bolt drop in place outside the door. The shed was entirely empty, save for a pile of straw in one corner of the dirt floor. There was no window, but the rough boards let in chinks of daylight as well as drafts of cold November air. Kit leaned against the doorpost and let the tears run down her cheeks. Toward late afternoon, when one side of the shed was already deep in shadows, she heard footsteps. The bolt drew back and the constable's face peered through the door brought some supper he growled and my wife sent this he thrust toward her a heavy quilt none too clean even in that dim light but a gesture of kindness nonetheless we never had a girl in here before he explained uneasily funny thing i'd never picked you for a witch but you can't tell please kit ventured those other women you spoke of goody harrison and the other what happened to them Goody Harrison was banished from the colony. They hanged Goody Johnson. Then seeing the horror that blanched her face, he reconsidered. I hardly think they'd be so hard on you, he consoled her. Being so, you're young. And the first offense, more likely brand you, cut off an ear. He slammed shut the door again. Whatever might be in that but wooden bowl, she had no heart even to taste it. She had begun to shake again, and the quilt did not warm her. She had never in all her life known the feeling of a locked door. It was all she could do to hold herself from pounding against it and screaming. If she should scream, who would hear her? Who was there anywhere who could help her? John Holbrook, perhaps? In his quiet way, he had a sort of strength and conviction. They might have listened to John, but he was far away in the wilderness of Massachusetts. Nat Eaton? He was halfway down the river and banished from town as well. William? Why, of course, William could help her. Why hadn't she thought of him at once? Anything William said would carry weight in the town. His position, his character were unquestioned. Could the magistrate for one moment hold the cruft's word against a man like William? The thought steadied her. She thought of him coming to champion her, confident. "'unruffled, those wide, dependable shoulders "'like a fortress between her "'and the angry face of Goodwife Cruff. "'Dear, dependable William, perhaps he would come tonight.' "'Kit drew a deep breath, and sitting on the floor, "'her knees drawn tight against her chest, "'she waited for William. "'It was Rachel who finally came instead. "'Long after dark, Kit heard her whisper "'outside the shed wall,' "'so timid and faint "'that at first she thought "'she must have imagined it. "'Kit, can you hear me? "'Are you all to rights? "'Yes. "'Oh, Aunt Rachel, "'you shouldn't have left them. "'I had to know how you are. "'I knew you'd want to know, Kit. "'Dr. Balkley says "'Mercy's fever is nearly gone. "'I'm so glad. "'I wanted to help, "'and now I've left it all "'for you to do. "'Oh, Aunt Rachel, "'can you ever forgive me?' shush child tis myself I can't forgive to think I knew all along you were going to that place and I never spoke up I'd have kept going anyway but I never knew I'd shame you all like this Aunt Rachel what do they do to witches there was a small sound outside the boards nothing child whispered Rachel they won't do anything to you we'll think of something she had not spoken fast enough that little sobbing catch of breath had answered first the inquiry will be in the morning have courage dear but you've got to help us kit if there's something you haven't told something you're holding back you must tell everything how much courage must it have taken for rachel to brave her husband's anger and the dark and the strange terror of a prison shed i wish i could get some food into you Are you very frightened, Kit, dear? Not now, lied Kit, not now that you've come. Thank you, Aunt Rachel. Sustained by her aunt's visit, Kit was able to face the morrow with less panic. She sat down and forced herself to take stock of her chances. She couldn't imagine that they could have much evidence against her. But it didn't seem to take much evidence to rouse these people's suspicions. What had poor Hannah ever done to harm them? Goodwife Cruff had hated her ever since that first day on the dolphin, and she would never rest now till she had her vengeance. Nobody in the town would have much sympathy for a disobedient girl. If only she could have obeyed her impulse this morning and told her uncle the whole story, though perhaps he was too helpless. She saw now that she had undermined his authority in all eyes by flouting his orders. "'Suppose they discovered that Prudence, too, had disobeyed. "'It did not bear thinking, "'and she was entirely responsible for Prudence's actions, Kit admitted with a sick heart, "'who had inveigled the child with promises "'and thought of the hiding place under the willow tree "'and persuaded her, no, dragged her against her will to meet Hannah. "'Why hadn't she seen what she was doing? "'How could she have been so wicked?' "'What difference did it make whether Prudence could read or not "'when she was half-starved and beaten and overworked? "'If I wanted to neglect my own work,' Kit groaned in remorse, "'I might at least have been out in the cruff's field "'helping the poor child. "'And yet, how lovely it had been that last afternoon in the cabin. "'Leaning her forehead on her knees, "'Kit could almost feel herself there again. "'She could hear the crackling of the flames.' the bubbling of the stew in the kettle, the scratching of the pen in Prudence's fingers, the creak, creak of Hannah's chair, and the drowsy purring of the yellow cat. She could see the glow of the fire, but she could not feel its warmth. It was like gazing in at a window from the cold outside at a forbidden room she could never enter again. She had not slept all the night before on the beach, Now huddled inside the ragged quilt, she was sucked down in spite of herself into a black whirlpool of slumber where nightmare phantoms whirled with her nearer and nearer towards some unknown horror.